University Program in Cinema Studies is proud to present the New Jersey Film Festival for Fall 2022. The Fall Festival will be taking place on select Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays between September 9th and October 16th. The festival will be presented online as well as including select in-person screenings at Voorhees Hall Room 105 at 71 Hamilton Street on Rutgers campus. Ticket buyers will also have special access to filmmaker introductions and Q&A sessions for many of the films. So don't miss Rutgers Own Film Festival, which celebrates independent filmmaking. For more info, go to njfilmfest.com. This is Jim McEldry, head coach of the Rutgers men's soccer team, and you are listening to The Crew on 88.7 WRSU-FM, New Brunswick, and online at wrsu.org. Welcome to the WRSU Crew. The revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe. Coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. Welcome to the WRSU Friday Crew Rutgers football game day and more sports to be talked about throughout the two hours that we have you here. Brett Hall and joining alongside Alex Carminati. And, and Alex... This is like a flashback to the fall almost. I, I haven't been on a show consistently with you in a minute, so it's nice to be here with you. Partner, this is where the fun begins. That's all. It's great <laughs> to be back with you, my friend. And I tell you, you know, there's just been there's just been a lot going on. So much business. This, that, this event, that event, this football game, this soccer game, this this uh, you know, game altogether. There's so much going on, but it's good to see you finally. And the word on the street is, as Jake Maystell just walks into the building. Bet you he faced the same traffic I did on the way down here. There is a crazy <laughs> amount of traffic, Jake. Is that true? Yeah, traffic was murder today, boys. Murder? <laughs> Why murder? Well, not literally murder. I know like, what you just, mean. But. It was it was it was bad. You know, I feel like I probably should have judged it better, knowing that there's a uh, prime time Rutgers football game on tonight, just That's off fair. of Route 18. But well, you know, you live and you learn, right? It's that, but also Barstool Sports is here, and they're kicking oh, off at 5.30. that's 530. right. They are here. So that could be the that. main reason why this whole traffic burst is taking place now. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I know people tend to like to tailgate like three hours before that's the game, fair. but, like, I mean, this is this is. Even it's not to this level, though. It's definitely the Portnoy effect. Now, again, <laughs> I have not been outside for the past hour. I've been here for the past hour. So, is it, so on a scale of 1 to 10, it's over 10, obviously? Or is it 11? I'd rank it like a 9. 20? Yeah, I was going to say it's like a 9. It's out like a 9. Right now. Okay. It could escalate to like a 10 later. I don't okay. know. I don't know what the expected crowd is for this game. It's sold out. It's sold it's, out. Oh, that's yeah. right. It's, so it's, it's going to get worse. It's, it's also just right Friday now it's 9. Night. It's Friday night. <laughs> yeah. It's sold out. It's against a team that we can definitely beat more so than Iowa. So, you know. Look, I mean. I think people are excited for this game. Because I'll be honest. I I walked in here at like 3.58. I give Brett a call. Where the heck are you guys? What's going on over here? And then once he comes in, this guy's speed walking. Oh, my goodness, the traffic. Oh, my goodness. Not like that. I'm over-exaggerating. But the point is, is that. <laughs> it was about, I right? Know, that I, was I, I came in here just like Jake did, like panting, because I was basically running here. <laughs> that was pretty close. <laughs> but, so. um, but we are on the air regardless. And, gentlemen, this this is not the end after crew. Not just a football game, sh- uh, f- uh, football game as well. We have at least seven straight hours or maybe six or seven straight hours of Rutgers sports for you here on WRSU. The crew from 4 to 6, Rutgers countdown from 6 to 7, the game itself, will, yeah, will take about three and a half hours, 
We could, we'll be on here until like 11 30 at least. And then Nightline, of course. So we are here on WRSU for seven and a half hours at least for Rutgers football coverage and Rutgers sports coverage on 88.7 FM and online at WRSU.org. But, gentlemen, let's start with, of course, the game of the night the Friday night under the lights game where it's Rutgers, an easy opponent in Nebraska. A must-win game, a winnable game, especially for this goal, this uh, this team for Rutgers. If the Skull Knights somehow don't walk out of tonight with a victory, the reaction, of course, will be upset, frustrated, what have you. But let's say that takes place. Jake, I'll start with you. Let's say Rutgers somehow does not win tonight. Why? Um, well, I think the big reason why if they, they, they could potentially not win tonight is I, I, I'm kind of looking at this game and I'm thinking about this. You know how we talk about a great offense going up a great against a great defense. Uh-huh. That's Nebraska's offense versus Rutgers defense. Unstoppable force versus the immovable object. Well, sure. on the other side for both teams, it's the very stoppable force versus the very movable object. Right. Rutgers offense is not very potent to say the least and Nebraska's defense is quite leaky sure so if one of those doesn't get the job if if Rutgers offense can't get it done against Nebraska's defense that would be the reason why they lose and again let's say they lose but Brett if they win tonight if they're able to get to win number four in their first big 10 win of the season why do they pull off victorious if that takes place you know, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week on Nightline, Alex, how Rutgers offense couldn't get out of its own way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it, it's the same for every game. It's the same for every team. If you go in there, you control time of possession, and you play mistake-free football, you're going to come out and win this game. Sure. Now, Rutgers, the reason for their two losses, I mean, Ohio State you knew was going to be a wash because they're way better, so I'm not going to count them. But the loss against Iowa was because they threw two interceptions, one of which was a turn for a touchdown. Yep. And you, you, you just can't do that. I, I mean, Rutgers offense already, as is, struggles to move the chains. Yep. Now, whether that's because of personnel or that's because of play calling, I mean, like, you can debate either it's one. It's a bit of both, right? It, it honestly is a combination effect here. But, you know, l- looking at this team, just in their last two performances, I mean, you, you got to figure out how to get into a rhythm. you got to figure out how to play clean. And most importantly, like, you know, the defense, which, you know, is young and people are wondering if they'd come to play this season has been exceeding expectations. Uh-huh. It's time for the offense to meet that as well. Absolutely. And again, that's been the main narrative and especially against Temple where the offense was completely flat. It did not look good at all. They should this not have won that game. Huh? We Rutgers should not have won that oh, game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, they barely won. If it wasn't for that defensive pick six touchdown, Rutgers would have lost that game in Philly. And keep in mind, that's the same Temple team and, you know, different quarterback, different situation, maybe a little worse than last year, but you beat that same team last year at home by by over 40 points. And this year, you beat them by two, you barely get the job done, and your offense, is, especially in the passing game, is so, so flat. I mean, that can't happen tonight. And my main concern for the passing game, and look, say what you want about Simon. Evan Simon's been up, he's been down, he's been okay, all right? Say whatever you want about him. Last game, uh, two games ago versus Iowa. 300 passing yards, one touchdown, two picks. But his completion percentage was a season low at that point of 57. Now, again, last week was not going to be a win. He did not look good last week. 9-16, 74 yards, one touchdown, one pick. A 53% completion percentage. Now, again, he might be high. He might be low. He might have a good game. He might have a bad game. He might be okay. But regardless of the touchdowns and, and, you know, the yards thrown, 
the completion percentage has been a main issue for the guy. And when you go from 60 to 80 in three games, and then 57, and then 53, tonight you have to get, oh, I think, at least over 70 in that range. I, 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 I think you need to, look, over 70 could be pushing it. I'm thinking over 60, over 65. Okay. Just, just get a completion percentage that doesn't harm your team. Okay. Because... You know, you, you look at the number 53 and to people in terms of completion percentage and for people who don't necessarily know football, you know, that's still over half that might seem like an okay number right. at the very least. But we, you know, in the modern day of football, quarterbacks are expected to complete over 60% of their Absolutely. passes. And even then a completion percentage of just 60 is considered still pretty pedestrian completion percentage. Mm-hmm. It's not terrible, but it's also not good either. And, you know, I mean, just... If, if you only complete about half your passes, it means you're likely either throwing incompletions, your receivers are dropping passes, you're throwing interceptions, right. you're just not getting good looks, you're not getting good play calls, just nothing's working on offense. So it's not just on Evan Simon to get a, a better completion percentage. His receivers need to catch the ball. The offensive coordinator, Sean Gleason, he needs to give them good plays to run. They need to complement that with the running game so then that opens up you know, more options in the passing game. And I think they need to hit him hard with the run early in order to do that. Well, I mean, I mean, it's just big. And, Brett, you know, this run game and that really bad loss that was expected to, to the Buckeyes last week, run game wasn't half bad. And Sam Brown stood out. 15 carries, 80 yards, 70, 79 to be exact, actually, but still in that range. Sam Brown could be one of the main facilitators of this offense tonight. And, again, let's say the pass game is the same scenario – how much of the run game is really going to make or break what happens for Rutgers in general, but especially on that offensive side of the ball? I mean, I mean the Rutgers has had a run-centered identity for the last few seasons yeah. now. And, you know, you were talking about Samuel Brown. There's a reason why the kid is a four-star recruit. I right. mean, he's very elusive. He's sure. quick with the ball in his sure. hands. He, he holds on to it, and he runs hard. I mean, mm-hmm. those are things you want to see in a running back. And in order for him to get looks on the ground, hit guy as well, right. and, and that entire room, since it is basically a committee, you know, with Samuel Brown taking the majority of the of work last week, there's not one main guy. No, right, no, right. it's been a committee, and sure. if for the for the committee to get space in the open field, you have to do well in the passing game, and that's yeah. the problem with shoddy quarterback play. Yeah, they haven't, you know, they've allowed opposing defenses to stack the box with consistency with no worries. Now, if you're making corn, if you're making the DBs and the safeties and even the linebackers pay on the short and intermediate level and and over the middle deep. You know, which is more rare in college football, but mm-hmm. it's still something you look for. Right. Um, then they're going to have to respect it, and when they have to respect it, less personnel stack the box. When less personnel stack the box, and the offensive line doesn't miss an assignment, you got more room to run. Sure. That's the key for Rutgers. Their football team has been run centric for the past few seasons, and nothing's changed this year. In order to have a chance against Nebraska, they 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 have to you know diversify their playbook, kind of as what Jake was just saying here, and. Against the Nebraska defense that has been absolutely abysmal to this point, I don't see how they won't be able to do so. But uh-huh. then again, we came in the studio a few weeks ago too and thought they were going to wipe the floor at Iowa, and then we know what happened. Right. So I, I, I don't know that we would. Say I don't think you compare them, but I mean, still. I, well, like, no, I, I, what I'm saying, I don't know if we that we said that we were feeling that Jake, records would Jake, wipe the floor. Jake, we were I said they were going to wipe Jake. the floor, so at least it's on me. But, I mean. <laughs> I, my, myself included, and the majority of this department, most likely, from what I can recall at least, was on cloud nine. We're going to beat Iowa. We're <laughs> I mean, there was, definitely, beat there was definitely a mindset that Iowa was not only a Iowa winnable a game, but, 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 but a game that Rutgers would win, not just should win. Right, and, right. you know, I mean, 
obviously, like when the defense scores more points than you do on offense, it's, that's not a re- recipe and for success. And at the end of the day, the <laughs> reason why we lost that game is because we really underestimated the defense of the Hawkeyes. The offense is horrible. Right. Petrus is terrible. Horrible, horrible offense there for the Hawkeyes. But that defense is one of the best, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country altogether. And we really, really underestimated them. And that's why they scored 14 defensive points, the pick six touchdown, and the scoop and score touchdown as well. So, and Nebraska's nowhere close, but my fear could be if we underestimate this Nebraska defense, I'm not saying the exact result could happen, but similar things could turn out in that aspect. Yeah, no, definitely. And I... I think everybody, and the reason why this game is sold out again is because it's kind of going back to the mentality of it. This is a game where Rutgers should win. Right. And where many think Rutgers will win. I think they're intertwined. I I, I mean, it depends on how you say it. It depends on what context you're using the two words. But at the same time, like, I think this week and against weaker opponents in general, when you're a fan of a team that should be light years ahead of the opponent, in your mind, they will win. They're connected, and it's something that you expect. Now, anything but th- that that proves right there that anything but a win is a disappointment. Now, is it justified with the way Rutgers' defense has been performing and the way Rutgers' offense has looked against teams with suspect defenses? Yes. I think this is one of the easier games in their schedule, if sure. not the easiest, yeah. besides Wagner. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you, you never count somebody out until they're out. Right. And... Despite them being named the Cornhuskers, they are still a college football team at the end of the day. So, <laughs> so, so you got to look out for them. I mean, that don't don't go into this underestimating your opponent. Play your game, yeah. and Rutgers football have a chance at a win. And and I, I kind of want to go back to something that Alex mentioned okay. about not underestimating the Nebraska defense. And I I, I want to clarify that I don't think Rutgers should go into this ma- matchup over respecting their talent of right, their defense. Of I think. You need to respect the things that they do well on defense. But when it comes to their mistakes, the things that they're not so good at, take advantage of those things. Sure. You know, hit them hard, right. hit them a lot in those areas, force them to make adjustments so that they so that, that opens up other parts of the defense for mm-hmm. you to take advantage of. Don't mm-hmm. don't go in there with conservative play calling because you're scared. I mean, I I, I have a feeling that going up against Iowa, they tried to come out aggressive early it kind of shot them in the foot, and then they got really scared, and they played really conservative for the rest of the game right. until it was garbage time and they were down 21 points. Right. But against Nebraska, you're going to get those opportunities. So don't don't treat them like this is the 85 Bears because it's not. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can—just j- because Rutgers doesn't do that well on offense generally doesn't mean they can't take advantage of a bad defense we have seen them do this we saw them do this against temple last year obviously they had bow mountain and isaiah pacheco but we saw them do it this year against against wagner now obviously wagner fcs school you know that's not that's not the same thing as playing nebraska i'm not asking for 66 points here but i'm saying you know scoring over 20 even over 24 points should be doable against this nebraska defense they need to make sure they go out there and they take advantage and make adjustments when Nebraska does. They can't just go out there and play passively the whole game and then try some little trick plays with Langan or right. multiple quarterbacks and pretend like they're doing something. That's not going to fly. And, <laughs> and, and, and I'll raise you one on that because the first game of the year, how'd they beat Boston College? They adjusted. They, they came adjust. back. They turned the clock. They got in motion and they got their heads where, in the Where sets. is that Rutgers right now? Well... I'll tell you this much, Jake. 
ever since that week one win, there's, they've been on cloud nine. Yeah, we, we beat Boston College. We should be good to go. 3-0. and Okay. I think, and again, they undermess, underestimated Iowa. Fair enough. And they weren't going to beat the Buckeyes. But you're exactly, where is that mindset? Especially if you're down by 7 points, 10 points, whatever it is, no matter what time of the game it's at. It, it, it feels like whenever they get down by more than 7 points in a game, when they get down by 2 scores, it feels like they're out of it. They they, yep. they, they play as if they're done. And, that's, and you know, I've been comparing this team a lot to the New York Giants of the past several years who, okay. have, all, who, have, play, who had previously played a very similar style of passive let's give up offense when we get down by more than when we get down by two scores or more. Uh-huh. And and it's just, it's, that's not the way to win football games. This team does have expectations to at the very least match or do at least one better than they did last year. Yeah. It might not happen, but that shouldn't be because they didn't take the chances that they needed to. It should be because they were outplayed. Right. Of course. And what's so ironic Every time we get to this week, week five, week six, you know, we're in mid-October or towards that area. We're so high on Rutgers. They're going to make a bowl game. It's going to be six wins. They're going to get this. They're going to get that. Are you kidding me? There's no way they'll be stopped. And by the end of October, first week of November, well, it's an it's another season. Rutgers, of course, disappointed once again. Don't miss out. It's another year. It's an, It's another rebound year. We'll see how long it takes to finally get to a bowl game, whatever. Here's the catch this year. COVID-19 is not going to make or break a team going to a bowl game or subbing in for a bowl game. That's not going to happen this year. I don't care what they say. This season, you have to get six wins. And if somehow you do not get six wins, it it will be done, capiche, goodbye, and it's not going to look pretty. We got Dennis Geisler joining I, I've, us. I've walked in this in this room just to disagree with what Carm just said. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, on on the topic of every year, it seems like Rutgers has a good start. It feels like they're going to everyone's hopes get up. That is not the experience before Greg Schiano <laughs> came to Rutgers. That's, yeah, that's and that is, true. And that is your time at Rutgers, that's which fair. is fair. And that's fair. but even I mean, Dennis, you're, even you're my a first senior year, like I am, right? Dennis? I am a senior. My first year in <laughs> oh 2019, there were not that kind of hopes. No, there, there was were not. hopes to win three games That's there fair. were hopes that they could three? win their yeah i mean they won <laughs> two games that year they did beat umass and liberty those were the two games i saw them winning on the schedule and those are the two games they ended up winning okay fair enough no. but that's fair, I, I mean, you look at it and you say, there have been a lot of years that have been way worse for Rutgers. That's fair. And let's for let's not forget 2018 before we got here. Yeah, and, and absolutely, 2018 was an even worse year. And you look back at some of those Chris Ash years, and they were terrible. And even right. some of the Kyle Flood era wasn't right, that great. Right, right, right. But, I mean, you look at it overall and you have to say, and I, I wasn't listening to the full conversation of where all this was going, but... Uh, I, I guess it just ends up being that the fact that there is some optimism around this team does show some of the positive upward momentum. Uh-huh. Uh, and you can certainly say that they haven't really made a lot of use out of it, that basically everybody on this team at this point is a Shiano ad, whether it be a Shiano recruit, a Shiano transfer, something along those lines. That's there fair. isn't a whole lot left of that uh, Chris Ash team on uh, this uh, roster. But regardless... I, I think that the continued optimism, and it really has only been those 
two years. Because no, the one it's year, fair. I mean, we didn't know what bowls were going to get played in 2020. We weren't sure how many bowls would get played at but all. they could have won more than three games that season. They absolutely could have won more than three games. They should have won more than three they games, frankly. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that also kind of speaks to some of the disappointment is that, okay, they played a full conference schedule. They won three conference games. They could have won five conference games. And then the next year they won two conference games. And I think that's kind of normal for a football team to have good years and bad years. And yeah. I guess that's just kind of I know what you're how saying. it ends up going. Right. Oh, no. And again, I get the point. But the thing is, is that, and again, especially the past two, three seasons with Chiano, what have you. Decent starts. Last year was was a, was a good start. You almost beat Michigan. You've been in so many spots where, yeah, you would have clinched here. You would have clinched there. If if you get this one, you'll take one more step. You'll get there by X amount of time. It's just they haven't been able to do that. And in the biggest moments, they've come up short the past few seasons. And what's so frustrating for many Rutgers football people who follow this team is that, and again, Shiano has gotten this team to those spots. The fact that they're in that spot is remarkable in itself compared to Chris Ash and Kyle Flood and that whole era. But the point is, again, is that you see where this team can go, where they've been and where they can go. They're, they, they've been in many good spots, but they're not going farther than that. And the problem is, is that, again, they keep coming up short every single time, and it's the same exact reason why they're coming up short every single time. This mistake on offense, this mistake on defense, this issue here, this terrible game at Northwestern last year was horrific. You know, you have you you have a lot of these scenarios, especially earlier in this portion of the season in the Greg Schiano Part Two era, where you could get the six wins by October thirty first. You could get the six wins by November seventh. What whatever it may be. Now that you're in this spot again. And again, you, you lost to Iowa. That hurts. But tonight, you got to win. Homecoming game in two weeks, you, you got to win. If you can somehow beat Minnesota, hallelujah. But if, uh, you know, you also have the Michigan State possibility, which could be a win. You have Maryland. So you have five bites of the apple. You need three more bites. Chop, chop, chop. Chop, chop, chop. There you go. You get those three <laughs> bites, and you're good to go. And those two bites should come tonight and in two weeks' time. Now, after that, where does that third bite come? College Park, East Langsing, Minnesota, maybe. Who knows? But you got to get it done. And this year, especially with how lenient your and again, minus Ohio State, with how lenient the first seven games of the schedule have been this season, the fact that 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 this conversation is occurring again is just another frustrating call for many people who are following this team, covering this team, adoring this team. And, again, say whatever you want, but tonight has to be a stepping stone going forward. And if they don't reach five wins by the by the time they travel to Minnesota, that's a problem. And it, it's just the same narrative where we get our hot, you know, our hopes up so, so high before the year, first month of the season but once we hit mid-october and november well we'll see you next year guys we gave it our shot they had a uh, you know four wins five wins whatever but you know we'll we'll do it next year we'll turn things around next year we'll we'll definitely eat the full apple next year and um it's just the same stepping stone narrative 
that we keep seeing. And 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 again, I get it. It's three years only so far. It's still time to build this team up. But in the three years that you've had so far of Shiano Part 2, this team could be so much better than where they're at. And the problem is that they're shooting themselves in the foot. And t and once they take two steps forward, they, they take they take five steps back. I I want to disagree with that because I don't think they're taking five steps back. I wanna I wanna go through the progression because this is a very it's a very steep uphill progression that R Rutgers has had to go on okay. since joining the Big Ten. Of course, you know they joined the Big Ten as a team that was decent, right. but obviously you know declined because they didn't have the talent to compete in that conference yet. Of course. Of so course. you know you get to 2018, 2019. This team is garbage. They're terrible. They don't belong in the Big Ten. They don't belong in a Power Five conference. Absolutely. Let alone the Big Ten. Absolutely. You know now then Greg Schiano comes in. He starts getting them going. He's getting them wins against sure. Big Ten sure. schools. Sure. You know we you know you come in last last year. Beat all three of your non-conference opponents before the conference schedule starts. Come in this year, do the same thing. Now Rutgers has proven they belong in a Power 5 conference, that they even belong in the Big 10. Right. Now, w Rutgers is at the point where they now have to start trying to build themselves up to really competing with everyone in the conference. Because we know Rutgers can compete with the lesser teams in the conference like Nebraska, sure. like Indiana, like Maryland. Right, right. You know, and, you know, when a, a school like Michigan State or Minnesota or Iowa, when they have a down year, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, Northwestern. Or Northwestern, you, you know, you compete with them too. But n now it's, it's, it's about trying to figure out how to consistently do it, especially because, one, you know, you go through those three games, things are working, you know, those are your easy opponents. Right. But now, every, but everyone in the conference has had time to game plan for you, and you don't really come out there. You, because things have been going so easily for you, you, in I think in their heads, both in the coaches' minds and just in the players' minds, they they kind of expect that it will it won't be quite as difficult as right. it is. They should probably expect it to be a little harder than it's going to be. Right, right, right. And you know, I don't want to I don't want to say that I'm that I know what all the players are thinking because I of course, don't. Of course. You know, we can't possibly know what's going on inside their minds. But, you know, it just seems right now they're, 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 they're in kind of that mid-level between, like, being, like, a competitive Big Ten school and just being a school that belongs in the Big Ten but sure. isn't quite there at right. the competitive level. And, yet. look, it's a process. <laughs> I get all of that completely. Don't get me wrong. But you, you, you've, you've had these glimmer of hope moments over and over. And over and over again, and the glimmer of hope just vapors just like that. It, That's it, that the happens. problem. And again, I get that, but you're taking so many steps where this team is farther where they really should be. But again, you keep stepping back because of these silly mistakes that don't get addressed, and that and that's the problem. And we keep and for, this, for the second straight season, we're seeing it. Three and zero out of conference play. Here's the catch: in one of those out of conference games, the offense looked horrible. Temple this year, the offense at Syracuse last year, you won the game. That offense was a train wreck last year at Syracuse. It was brutal to watch. They Again, they won, but it was still a really, really bad offense. And then what happens again? First two Big Ten games, Michigan, Ohio State, get it, weren't going to win. Iowa was winnable, you don't. Ohio State, we all knew, knew that was a loss. But here's the deal. Now, I'm, I, I, I'm not comparing it to last year. Last year, sixth game of the year, Northwestern. What happened? Of course we know. Does that happen tonight? God forbid. God forbid. But if it does somehow, then we're in the same cycle again, where 
three and oh, but three and three. And then here we are again. All right, five and seven, whatever. Or let's say they get to six and six, and if they do, great. But it's just, I'm, it just the the same thing has been repeating itself, and we're seeing the same movie again and again and again for the second straight season. And honestly, a lot of people are kind of tired of it. They're a little upset with it, of course. And at the end of the day, you know, you know, things, things like things have to get done. And tonight has to be the night where they get things done, they get the job done, they beat Nebraska, mm-hmm. and they show what Rutgers football really is about. And if they can do that, the sky's the limit. But they got to do that. Yep. They got to do Agreed. that. And if they yep. don't, again, it's going to be, uh, you know, the same narrative that we saw last year, and it's going to be very, very daunting um, the rest of the way forward. I And just to kind of compare it to that steep hill analogy okay. one more time. You sure, know, you're sure. trying to climb a really steep hill or of even fully are. vertical wall. You're going to have some slides sometimes. You're going to have to take some step down, steps down, reevaluate. It's all about finding that right foothold to keep yourself going upward. Right. And right now they're just looking for it. I think they can find that foothold tonight and get themselves moving so. back upwards where they need to be. I really hope so. I really hope you're right on that. But the problem is that, again, they keep stepping in the wrong hole and they keep, you know, twisting their ankle or, or what have you in that sense. But with that, I think we'll go to break. When we come back, locks of the week, the gentleman will take you through and then we'll keep going here on WRSU. Crew, Rutgers Countdown, the football game itself, Nightline. we got a lot of action for you. Just keep it tuned on 88.7 FM and online at WRSU.org. Locks of the week back here on Friday crew. Brett Hahn joined alongside Jake Mystel. And it's the segment where we give you guys gambling advice that you should definitely take, regardless of what Jake tells you. I disagree. Uh, I, I will disagree every week on this with you, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Today, today I'm feeling lucky. <laughs> Let's go. Mentality shift here at WRSU, <laughs> where, where we provide you with gambling locks that will definitely hit. Jake, do you have one? Oh, I was debating whether or not to make you sweat with my lock of the week, and you know what? I think I'm gonna do it. What's there? The uh, there there we have the wild card round in baseball going on right now. There are two games going on at the moment, but there is one game. Oh, I know. Oh, I know what you're doing. Start. I know what you're doing. At 8 p.m. tonight, we got the New York Metropolitans oh. hosting the San Diego Padres. Mets are favored by a run and a half. Money line favors the Mets minus one sixty, and you know what? I think the Mets are. I think the Mets are going to cover in this game. They're going to win by one run in this game. It's going to be a close one. The over under six. I don't know that they'll get there. I think it might only get to five. Mets win like three to two, you know. But I think it's going to be a one run victory for the Mets in game one of. The wild card round, best of three series. Max Scherzer on the bump tonight, so it's going to be. It should be a good pitching matchup between him and you, Darvish. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 I like it. I mean, look, I, I am way too superstitious to bet on my own team. Oh, of course. So I will never ever do that. But I will admit, it crossed my mind there for a second. I do think the Mets are going to take game one, also. But um, you're not locking it in. Where's wood? Can I knock on wood? All right. 
I, I, I knocked on wood. Now we're, we're safe. You're now. not locking it in, though. No, no, no. We're, I am locking it in. J- you're locking it in, which means, you know, my, my luck doesn't affect them hey, tonight. It's all good. Hey, you know, <laughs> last time I picked the Mets as my lock of the week, they made an epic ninth inning comeback against the Phillies to win. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I got a different approach to my lock um, this week. All right. And... Or not different approach, excuse me. It's a different set of teams that like I probably wouldn't do usually, Ooh. but um, we're going to the NFL. Okay. And the Detroit Lions are taking on the New England Patriots in Foxborough. Oh Sunday. Yes. It's a Sunday one at one PM game. And, you know, the Lions, yes, they've allowed the most points per game on defense. They've also scored the but most points. But they've also scored the most points per game. And you know, I think with you know, Jamal Williams who's a pretty solid number two back who can who's stepped into the role pretty well. And if Amon Ross St. Brown returns this week, I think they have a really good shot at beating the Patriots at home. So I'm going to go with the Lions money line plus 144 to beat the Patriots. I I like that lock of the week. And, you know, fun fact about the Detroit Lions, who have both the worst scoring defense in the league and the best scoring offense in the league right now, their point differential is minus one on the season so far. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> They, like, they, like it's so crazy. It, I mean, you know, if if they could just if they could just tighten things up on defense a little bit, they they would be they would turn a lot of those losses, high scoring losses, into high scoring wins. Um, so I I like that lock of the week. I I made a lock of the week on Wednesday that has not hit yet because the game has not happened yet. I picked an NFL game. I think you'll like this one, Brett. I picked the Jaguars to beat the Texans this Sunday. <laughs> Oh, I, I do like that one a lot. Texans are the only winless team remaining in the NFL, and the Jaguars look not terrible so far. It's hard to tell for sure if they're really, like, decent or average, you know, with such a small sample size of only four games, but they looked good against Philly scoring 21 points. Obviously, they gave a 14 nothing lead and, you know, lost 29-21, but it's still pretty good. Their offense managed to keep up. And obviously, you know, they had that comeback against Washington before they ended up losing late in the game. They won, you know, they they shut out the Colts, blew out the Chargers. So, you know, I, I think the Jags are definitely a better team this year than the Texans, you know, barring any injuries that might happen later in the season. So that's why I decided to pick them on Wednesday. And also just I never picked the Jaguars for anything. And I know I said going into the season – I was talking about how the Jaguars are trash. They're terrible. It's going to be another horrible year. And then look, look, look at me with my foot in my mouth. They're two and two for through the first four games. They might not actually be terrible. So, you know what? Might as well uh, pick pick in their favor for once. I'll admit it. I cover them, but I didn't expect anything out of them. <laughs> yeah. And 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 they they've exceeded my expectations, and then some. I mean, like. So so I, all that ja- pro Jaguars propaganda was for show, huh? <laughs> uh. The training camp standout parts, no. The okay. win projections, I might have escalated that a little <laughs> bit. But that's the nature of media for you. So, yeah, you so um, you know, but kind of going back to that matchup, like, I, I agree with you. I think this is a very winnable game. Houston is the worst rushing defense in the league. They're allowing 150 rush yards per game. And James Robinson, minus a dud against the best defense in the NFL, which is the Philadelphia Eagles last game, um, he he's been really solid on the ground. He's shown no signs of of rust from uh, from his Achilles injury, and that was a huge huge season ender last year. And I don't see why he won't establish his 
establishes Will early. And Travis Etienne as well. He hasn't been able to get going. But again, you know, I think this is a game where he'll turn more of his explosive attributes into actual yards on the ground. And I think it'll be a great game for both of them. Trevor Lawrence, you know, he had five turnovers against the Eagles. It wasn't pretty. They still only lost by eight. I mean, I, I, I think that speaks volumes um, more than anything. Trevor Lawrence, definitely, I, I, I fully expect him to have a cleaner game. And um, uh, d- just looking at the defensive side as well, excuse me, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Um the you know Josh Allen's leading the league in quarterback pressures. Devin Lloyd's been one of the best linebackers in the league so far at this point, let alone a rookie. Uh, I mean he's he, he last week you know he's leading he's leading the league in tackles for the linebacker position. Passes defended, interceptions he was tied, and and he, he he's been a guy whose play recognition skills have really elevated not only the linebacker group but the entirety of the Jaguars' pass defense as a whole, and. They're they're much improved. They surprised me. I did a scouting report on Devin Lloyd before the draft, and I liked what he got, but I didn't I, I didn't think he was going to be able to be this dominant out of the gate. I thought there was going to be an adjustment period for the guy, but now he's shown cor- a lot. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was he the one? Is he the one out of Georgia he who is. dropped in the draft because of uh, injury issues? Ah, uh, no, no. The one the one who dropped because injury issues. He was out of Georgia. Excuse me. That was N'Kobe Dean. Dropped oh, to the N'Kobe third Dean. round. Okay, um, okay. Okay. Devin Lloyd, I believe, played for a Florida college. Okay, I mean, um, okay. I mean, okay. It's hard, it's hard to keep track of where everybody goes to school. But I know he, there was one linebacker who I, – I know that the linebackers that win the first round were not really highly touted. There were question marks as to whether they should even be drafted in the first round at all. Obviously, you know, but N'Kobe Dean and Devin Lloyd were drafted in the first round. Or was N'Kobe Dean drafted? No, nah, he wasn't no, drafted until, okay. I think, the third. Oh. He okay. fell a lot. I um, it see it's hard to remember you 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 watch so many NFL drafts and it's hard to remember every single one, um, but yeah I know that Devin Lloyd was drafted um, in the first round by he was drafted in the first round he was the Jaguars traded up for yeah, him they, they got him at the back him. end um, um, but he he was University of Utah standout um, you know he he that's was right. he was that's ranked right. as one of the better linebacker I think he was ranked as the best linebacker in the class actually that's what I saw um, yeah. Honestly, I question why he fell that far. Yeah, um, but, I, I think it I has mean, to do fell with and Jaguars pounced. I think it has to do with maybe where he went to college. You know, Pac-12. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really familiar with Utah and their and their defense historically over the past few years. So I don't really know, you know, if there were question marks about him in that regard, or maybe his measurables, and maybe he had not a not great combine. I don't really remember, but there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that can play into why a guy falls farther than they probably should have you know measurables combine pro day performance where they went to school i mean there's no reason isaiah pacheco should have been a seventh round draft pick no the, no, the, the reasons because he went because he went to Rutgers. yeah it, no exactly <laughs> i mean i mean like that, that and that's no disrespect to Rutgers either it's just you know when you're looking at when you're looking at there, teams there's an and doing scouting reports. I, I was saying this yeah. on the Wednesday crew. There's an established hierarchy in college football. Oh, I agree. 100%. goes all the way into the NFL draft. And, you know, I mean, it, it kind of sucks sometimes, but that's just the way it is. You know, you go to Alabama, you're more likely to get drafted in the first round. Exactly. That's just how, how it works. I actually want to go to another AFC South team that played last night. I want to talk about the the, the uh, excellent football game that happened last. I night. turned that off. That was awful. I was <laughs> really hoping that game would end in a tie. 
because that's what it deserved. <laughs> it it would have if McManus hit his fourth field goal. He he missed the field goal. Um, oh man! So uh, it was twelve it, to nine in overtime. It's like. what I can't believe is that in the year twenty twenty two, we had two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks playing a game against each other, and not a single touchdown was scored. You think Matt Ryan's a Hall of Famer? Yes. Mm. Uh, uh, you you, you look, you look at know. you look at where he sits on the all-time passing yards and touchdowns leaderboard, and you tell me that he hasn't etched his name in the history already. Especially being, you know, without a doubt, the greatest quarterback in Falcons history. Let me, let me, let me, let me take a look at his accolades. That, 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 that's he's where also an MVP, which is a big deal. You know, I believe he won Offensive Player of the Year as well in 2016. You know. At what like one of the best passing seasons of all time. He'd been very consistent over the course of his career, you know, minus like the last couple of years, including this one. And obviously, you know, I don't need to speak about Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson has been incredible. You know, he's been better than Ryan, despite not winning MVP. <laughs> you know, <laughs> fourth career plurable nod and first APL. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I'm 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 looking at it now. I think I underestimated him. Because again, he played for the Falcons, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think people, I think people, I think people, there might be people who look at you eh, know, the Falcons, right, the, the twenty-eight to three, you know, all that stuff, and they think, oh, okay, mm-hmm. maybe Matt Ryan's not a Hall of Famer, but that that blown lead was not because of him. He was the reason they got to that Super Bowl, you know, and he would have won MVP of the Super Bowl if they had managed to find a way to win because he was playing out of his mind, um, and that's just what he did for the Falcons for like. 12 years. Yeah, 12, like, 13, 14 was, years. I mean, <laughs> you know, but like two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks playing the game against each other in 2022 and no touchdowns were scored. I can't believe that. That's that's unbelievable. Like, I knew Denver was scoring challenged and that they, they, for some reason, are allergic to the end zone. But, and I know that the Colts have had their struggles, but it's just to see these two teams play against each other and just the total offensive ineptitude all over the place. It's just like, I mean, I I think it's hilarious to watch, but if you're a fan of either of these te- two teams, I mean, even if you're a Colts fan, they won last night, you don't feel good about this win at all. This, you know, just not a good feeling win. Obviously, if you're a Broncos fan, well, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my uh, my entire uh, my my stepmother and you know stepbrother stepsister, they're all Broncos fans up there, so you know. I, well, I feel I, bad I, for them. They're I brutal. extend my condolences to them. <laughs> yeah, I um, apologize to you guys too, and I'll uh, I'll tell you guys in person again tomorrow when I'm up there. But uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, you know, just... n- nonetheless, like you know, it, going back to the whole like ineptitude of both offenses. I mean, the 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 best way to summarize it is just what the Amazon broadcast team said, right? You they, they did a little side by side comparison. They did up uh, here. They had the Colts. And then, like, not not much above it, they had the um, they had the Broncos. Fourteen point two points per game for the Colts per game. Now it was sixteen and a half for the end of last game for the Broncos. Two of the the two worst offenses in the NFL. They're both teams coming into the season expected to be I contenders mean, to this point and high scoring offenses. These too, are these are two of the worst oh. offenses in football. And we just had a game last week where the two worst passing offenses in the league played against each other, and it was actually like a. a an entertaining football game between the Giants and the Bears. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, like wh- when your offense is doing worse than a team that hasn't even thrown anywhere near a hundred passes on the season in the Bears, like 
they've only thrown 67 passes and they've got they've got they they're they're two and two and their offense I mean it's not great but it's not terrible they have a good running game you know Justin Fields looks promising but like I when I watch the Broncos and the Colts play offense there's just nothing exciting I know they didn't have Jonathan Taylor you know in the game and I know Javante Williams got hurt but it's just it feels lifeless which is not really it's yeah. not the way you want to feel about a a team in the NFL offense. I mean, it's just it felt like everything just wasn't going their way. Everything was futile, and it's just eh. <laughs> it was a it was a if if you like offense and you tried to watch this game and turned it off, I I can't blame you because this was not a good game to watch <laughs> it also doesn't help the broncos cause that this is a very winnable game for them as well i mean if russell wilson just looked to his right and saw kj hamler wide open in the end zone we'd be talking about a whole different outcome i here. mean i mean so yeah like he didn't even look to his right he didn't, no, he, he didn't he, even he, try he, to make the read he, he, he did two exactly two reads i was watching that he did two reads you you, you had sutton coming across on, on, on a little on, on a little trips mm-hmm. route and then you had jerry judy run a slam those are the only two reads he had. Obviously, they're the top two targets, so they we're probably going to get the ball in the end zone. But the entire right side of the field, you know, because there's only KJ Hamler lined up. They had three receivers on the left. KJ Hamler's all by himself. He is all. He was all by himself, and you saw you him after look. the play was over. He threw his helmet down. He was frustrated, rightfully so. I mean, he all the memes. He all had there, the game win, like He had the game winning touchdown. Up. Literally, he had the game winning touchdown right there. He didn't throw it to him, and you know, I mean, it's like. It's not. I don't think Russell Wilson was trying to ignore him. He just didn't turn his head because I, I don't know. I guess he's looking at Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. Those are his top two targets, and he's like, okay, one of these guys is gonna get open. Just, I mean, I do want to criticize Russell Wilson right now because he is not playing on the level that he was in Seattle, where Russell Wilson he could make any read, he'd throw to anybody. You know, he could make magic happen on every play. I know he's getting older, but like this is, like this isn't like talking about his athleticism or his running ability i mean this is this is awareness this is you know passing out of the pocket this is making your read he's just not even doing that right like and yet he goes out of every post-game press conference saying broncos country let's rise like if i'm a broncos fan i'm not feeling it it does feel genuine i'm sure it is but it doesn't feel that way because the his play on the field doesn't show that <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I agree. And, you know, just the the echoed sentiments of the Seattle faithful are getting louder of Russell Wilson not really being the, the quarterback that everybody thinks he is. I mean, you know, you, you thought for the longest time that, hey, you know, these guys are crazy. He brought him a Super Bowl. He was a Malcolm Butler interception away from bringing him two Super Bowls. And, you know, most people blame it on the play call, whatever. But that's besides the point. Um, You know, I, I don't even know why I said that. You know, that's besides the point. But, like, going back to, you know, how he performed the last two seasons, Seattle fans in, in, in the inner circles hasn't gotten a lot of consideration, but it's something I'm thinking about now. They give a lot of credit to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett for being a, amazing at catching the underthrown balls, getting up there and catching the ones that sail high, and really making up, masking deficiencies from Russell Wilson's game. And nobody gave him the light of, the light of day, because we know how dominant Russell Wilson has been. But 
so far, I mean, whether you blame the offensive ineptitude on Nathaniel Hackett solely or you can attribute it to the performance of Wilson in addition to the play calling, I mean, these sentiments will only get louder the longer they underperform. Yeah, so. it's – I mean, Nathaniel Hackett has been doing a poor job. And, you know, I mean, I know he got the, the head coaching job in Denver because of his work with Aaron Rodgers, to which anyone who pays close enough attention to the Packers will tell you that – Aaron Rodgers runs that offense. <laughs> Pretty much. You know, but, I mean, he he certainly did when Mike McCarthy was the head coach. <laughs> it's not like Mike McCarthy was doing anything. He still there. does it now. I mean, I mean, you, you you saw the clips of him, like, you know, cursing out his offensive lineman and stuff to snap the ball <laughs> and, and all these things. I mean, he, he is the orchestrator. Yeah. He is the conductor, and he is the reason why they, you know, they continue to rank him on the top teams. I don't think any offensive coordinator – you know, who's worked on their great, great – excuse me, let me rephrase this before I talk about the coordinators. Great quarterbacks are the ones who are able to adjust, the ones who are able to call the audibles in the huddle and go outside of the game script and make plays happen. They're also the ones who, you know, wh when there's a call that maybe they, they, they see something that the coach doesn't from the sideline, they call a completely different play. Now, this is where Aaron Rodgers comes in and he's running the offense. We've seen it with Tom Brady – Audibling the you know the, all the, the living you know what out of Bruce Arians that one season, right? And with Peyton Manning as well. Peyton Manning in his Omaha pa pa offense. Peyton I mean, Manning taking five minutes at the line of scrimmage to adjust the play. Exactly, <laughs> and and he's been you know. Point being, all these great quarterbacks n have a system, and their and their minds are so so tuned in to different formations. They memorize. Uh, they memorize, you know, certain looks, how many guys are in the box. They're film junkies. And this is why they're basically many offensive coordinators out there. That's why I feel like you've seen a lot of coaches, you know, who've been under the tutelage of a great quarterback that haven't succeeded on other coaching jobs. Adam Gase. Pain. I'm, I'm not even, I'm not, you know, I can rant about Adam Gase I mean, for he, an entire he, he's hour. He's kind of like, he's kind of like the, the, like Adam Gase. Like Josh McDaniels. Yeah. Nathaniel Hackett. I, I was just about to say, yeah, Josh McDaniel. I mean, look at look at what he's now. done in Oak or not Oakland, Las Vegas. He didn't do well in Denver either when he, he didn't had the job. Do well in I mean, like, like Denver, you made this mistake once already, and you've done it again. <laughs> just a different number twelve. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like um, Matt Nagy with the Bears. I mean, he wasn't the offensive coordinator, but he was an offensive coach mm -hmm. with one of the better offensive teams. And look what he did with the Bears. He did absolutely nothing. Now he's back calling the shots. Under he's he's uh, calling the not calling the shots, but he's one of the lead senior offensive assistants there, and they're they're doing wonders again over in Kansas mm -hmm. City. I, I mean, you know, it br it brings up the point, Jake, of you know how much can you attribute a coach's success to the system and the and the personnel versus their in ingenuity and creativity and ability to manage game situations. I feel like they're two very different things, and sometimes they get intertwined. And then their their candidacy for mm -hmm. a higher job gets blown out of proportion. A little. You know, I I know that this season is young, and and the, this guy that I'm about to mention, he's only four games into his NFL career as a as a head coach. But I want to I want to point out an example of someone who could potentially be on the right track, who's also been you know an offensive coordinator behind a great quarterback, and that's Brian Dable. Right. You know, who is seen as the architect of Josh Allen. You know, so far, I, it's obviously young season. You know, things could go terribly wrong, especially, you know, Giants have been known, new head coach comes in, bounce back here, then the next year they flop horribly, so that could happen again. But so far, I mean, he's been doing exactly what you've said, which is, you know, being creative, making those adjustments, getting the team going, you know, 
like he seems in control. He seems like he knows what he's doing as opposed to a lot of the other guys who I think believe they know what they're doing, but it's so much harder than it looks to, to, to not just like, it's not just calling plays. You're managing the entire team. You're managing, you know, you, you have the power to override anything that your offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator wants to do. You know, you have the power to decide who is and isn't going to play. You know who isn't isn't going to be on the team, and it's 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 a lot to manage, and not everybody's cut out for that. Yeah, and you know I I kind of want to build off your point here. Like when you're a head coach, kind of like you're just saying, you know, y- yes, you come from a, a, a offensive background, you come from a defensive background, but when you're the head coach, you're in charge of all of it, mm-hmm. and managing all of it and performing at the highest level is a lot of pressure, and it's very hard to do now. Look at Todd Bowles, right? Todd Bowles was a defensive coordinator under Bruce Arians in Arizona mm-hmm. before he took the Jets' head coaching job, right? And he he was a you know that unit was like at the top of its game. They were very exceptional in in the uh, pass coverage in and uh, you know the eh, the edge rushing was a little bit of a work in progress, but the pass defense I mean, they, was they, unreal. They had Muhammad Wilkerson. And uh, Sheldon Richardson, which helped a lot. Right, right. And they had David Harris and Demario Davis, and just a really yeah. strong, really strong defense. No, yeah, yeah and, and, that, and that was with the Jets. But you know, with the with the Cardinals, kind of like I was saying, you know, they had Patrick Peterson. They had different guys that you you could rotate in, and and, and it made and and it made, you know, Todd Gase's or Todd Gase, Jesus, Todd Bowles. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh my God. So many, Todd. so many coaches. You get them all mixed up. I'm a Jets fan. I, I've been through a million coaches. I apologize. Um, but Todd Bowles, you know, like, you know, w- when you have only one responsibility, you have the ingenuity, you have the creativity, and you don't forget anything. Now, I'm not saying he forgot anything, but when he was head coach of the Jets, it, it was noted that when on offense, he would turn his back and begin planning the defensive, or planning the defensive script. You can't do that. You, you, <laughs> you, you can't. can't. I mean, no. you don't have to so. call the plays on both sides of the ball. Because no, you have to be watching the game, yeah. you, you, you have to be paying attention to everything because you are in charge of all personnel moves. Exactly. You, you, you know, if you see someone who's not playing well or you see a scheme that's not working, you know, you have the you as the head coach have to go in there and you have to make that change. You know, if someone isn't blocking well and you have a guy you feel like could be doing a better job right now, you take them out of the game and you put them in. You know, if if there's like a if there's like a consistent pattern of play calling that you're seeing and it's just not working, you have the right to go over with your offensive coordinator and be like, hey, we need to change this. We need to adjust what we're doing right now. Otherwise, we're going to lose this game. <laughs> you know, and, and not... Not everybody has the ability to do that. Right now, from what I've seen from Brian Dable with the Giants, seems like he has the ability to do that. Obviously, time will tell, you know, as it always does. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I just looking at guys like Nathaniel Hackett, like Nathaniel Hackett clearly, does, does, it doesn't seem like he knows what he's supposed to he It doesn't seem like he understands what he's supposed to be doing right now, you know. Like, he... Like, you're in charge of everything. You're not really managing anything. Like, the defense is playing well, but they're carried by talent. The offense has talent, but it's not working well. So whose fault is that? You know. Right. You know, your quarterback, your quarterback's not playing well. Do we need to do, is there some discipline that needs to be done? Do we need to work on anything, film study? Like, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that we don't see. But, like, I feel like whatever's going, whatever they are doing is not working. 
in Denver. Just like whatever's going on in Las Vegas isn't working right now. Whatever went on in Miami and New York with Gates just didn't work. Whatever went on with Todd Bowles in New York, it worked one year and then it didn't. <laughs> you know, it just it being a head coach is really hard. <laughs> it is not completely agree, and, and you know, uh. As a wrap it up, hour one here, last minute. Um, just kind of want to leave it on this note. I mean, it's like Jake said, the season's young. Plenty of time for these teams to turn it around. Um, plenty of time for these head coaches to prove that they belong. I mean, not everybody's first few games are going to be uh, as swimmingly as Brian Dable and the New York Giants, and not as bad as the Rich Kotite led Jets back in the 1980s. Ooh. You know, but so time will tell, and just got to remain patient. As a fan, as a bystander, and just in general, I mean, I mean, just remain patient. I think it's great life advice. But with that, that's the end of hour one. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about a season that's relatively old and just beginning their playoff season, the MLB wildcard action yeah. starting today. And we're going to get you all the coverage and analysis and give our thoughts on the games ahead. But with that, we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned to us on WRSU 88.7 FM New Brunswick and online at WRSU.org for continued coverage.